Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. You're listening to Raising Curious Learners, a podcast from Britannica for Parents, where we talk to experts and discuss issues and trends in child development education, and parenting. Welcome back to Raising Curious Learners. I'm Elizabeth Romanski here with my co-host Anne Gadzikowski. And today we're going to be talking about childcare and returning to childcare. Here in the Chicago area where we are recording, many of the childcare centers are recently trying to reopen. And we know parents, you guys are probably very eager to get back to work yourselves, but also have your kids go back to childcare so you have more time to work and take one more hat off as a the child care and teacher and all of that. But we know that parents, you probably have many concerns about whether the children and teachers of the child care centers will be exposed to COVID. I think this child care conversation is really important right now, not just in Illinois. All around the United States, there are new guidelines for health and safety for child care centers. There are some programs that have been open all along that have been serving essential workers. So this is going to be a really interesting conversation. Let's start by just being clear about what we mean when we say childcare. Some people use the term daycare, and really it's the same thing. Childcare and daycare, we're usually referring to the same thing. But those of us who work in early childhood education, we really prefer the term childcare because we're caring for children and we want to keep children at the center of the conversation. And I also want to mention that when we're talking about child care, usually we're talking about full day child care that's serving working families. There's also a lot of learning that happens in child care centers. And so when we talk about the workers who are working directly with children, we're going to use the word teacher because there's so much deep and rich learning that goes on. And many child care workers are also credentialed teachers with degrees and experience and lots of expertise. So just wanted to mention that at the beginning beginning of our conversation before we start talking to our special guest today. Yeah, so today we're very excited to speak with Betty Cones, Director of Reba Early Learning Center in Evanston, Illinois. 
Hey, Betty, thank you for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. Hey, Betty, we're so glad that you can talk to us today. Why don't you start by telling us about your center and the families that you serve there? Well, our center was founded in 1966. It is an early childhood education and care program for children two to five years of age. We serve a variety of um, families from different socioeconomic backgrounds, ethnicities, and environments. We have some families that come from the north side of Chicago. Primarily, most of them come from Evanston. We also have families from Skokie or Des Plaines or other outlying suburbs as well. And how many children do you serve total? Well, total per day, pre-COVID, we served 56 children per day. Currently, post-COVID, our maximum number would be 42. However, because of the decreased enrollment, our minimum number would be 36 per day. And you guys are open now or reopened? Yes, we did reopen July 6th. So a lot has changed over the last couple of months. So tell us about the decision to close and what happened in between. How did you stay connected to families during the time that you were closed? Well, we typically follow the school district 65 and Evanston school calendar for closures. So March 13th was our last day at our site because we found out that the school district was closing. We had thought that we would just stay closed until April 13th, which would have included our spring break week and return at that time. However, that was when everything was in shutdown. Mm-hmm. So we had no other option. We had to remain closed at that point. So basically we closed because of the school district, because we followed what they were doing. And we stayed closed until July 6th. So did you, I mean, I'm assuming you still needed to communicate with parents and kind of keep in touch and keep updated. So how was that process? Well, fortunately for us, um, we have our family contact email. So all of our families are on the email contact list. And then we, with the help of some people who are more technologically inclined (laughs) than I am, we set up Zoom meetings weekly for the children and for the families. We initially started out with Zoom meetings for children and families each day, morning and afternoon, so they had an option of whether they could join in the morning or the afternoon, whichever Mm -hmm. they preferred. But teachers were also included on those um, Zoom meetings. Parents had access to my email, my cell phone, any way that they were most comfortable communicating with me. And I didn't know at the time, you know, how many people were still working, Mm -hmm. how many people were doing e-learning for older siblings. So I wanted to make it as convenient and easy for them as possible. Going forward, you know, we relax some of the meetings according to the needs of the families and employees. Did you have some families where the parents lost their jobs and became unemployed during the time that everything was shut down? Yes. When we realized, I would say mid-April, near the end of April, some families with one parent or if it was a single parent family, they may have lost their job. At that time, a lot of businesses were trying to um, obtain the payroll protection program loan or the SBA economic injury disaster loans. And that was a process to go through. And some businesses didn't know if they were going to be able to obtain those loans. So in the meantime, parents were furloughed or some are still unemployed because their business was not able to be sustainable. 
And what about your teachers? Were they paid during the time that you were closed? Yes. So fortunately for Reba, we were able to obtain the payroll protection program loan. Mm -hmm. And so our employees did remain paid their full salaries. That's awesome. That's really great. I know a lot of child care centers where the teachers were laid off and they had to collect unemployment. So that's really wonderful that you were able to do that for your teachers. Yes. And part of that was because we also provide approximately 70% of our children receive child care assistance from the state of Illinois. So part of the criteria for us to continue receiving the um, rate that we have been receiving for our child care assistant families was that we continue to pay our employees their full salaries. Mm -hmm. So we were able to do that with the help of that program. So you were shut down. You were doing your best to stay connected to families. You knew that some of your families were experiencing a lot of challenges. Did you get a lot of inquiries from parents saying, please open up again, or when are you going to open? Well, surprisingly, no, because I think families were more worried about the virus at that point Mm -hmm. and wanted their children to be safe and wanted us to be safe as well. So they made arrangements. Our families are fantastic. They understand and understood what this pandemic meant, and they did not want to compromise their children, themselves, or us in the process. Mm -hmm. So no, they were very understanding. Yeah. So, I mean, when you were saying of all the communication ways that parents could reach out to you, I was thinking, oh no, she probably got a flood of it at first, but it sounds like at the beginning, parents kind of understood and, you know, just were very worried about, you know, how the virus was affecting them individually as families. And so now ahead of reopening, did you start getting a lot of questions of, you know, when are you going to reopen? What are the protocols? Did the communication um, one side kind of increase? Well, throughout our entire communication time with the families, what I did was I kind of took them along on the journey with us. So if we had questions, they were included in our discussions with the staff about what was happening, um, what was going on in terms of loans, what the whole process was looking like for us. So along the way, they always knew what was going to be happening. You were very transparent. Right very transparent. They gave their input and suggestions for what we could do. Some offered to help with grants or information regarding the loan. So all along, they were part of the process and we were able to include them in the discussion. Mm -hmm. So I sent them everything in terms of our reopening plan, our employee family waiver, what the expectations were, the health screening criteria. So everything I got, I pretty much sent to them as well. Mm Yeah, no, that's amazing. And Betty, you have some parents on your board, don't you? Yes, we have parents, staff, and community members on our board of directors. So they were part of that decision-making process. Exactly. So what preparations did you have to make to reopen? Once you set a date that you were going to open, what happened next? So Reba Early Learning Center is a part of the Evanston Early Childhood Council, which is a collaboration of approximately 40 programs, early childhood home and center-based programs in the Evanston Skokie community. Community. And we wanted to do things in collaboration with each other so that one site wasn't doing something totally different from another site, keeping in mind that we are individual sites and have unique things that we need to consider mm-hmm. and support each other through this process with different things in regarding personal protective equipment, collaborating with Northwestern and the Evanston Community Foundation, as well as Evanston Cradle to Career, really helped us with getting access to the personal protective equipment or 
a rapid response grant for families that were in need or in crisis situations. So it was a truly collaborative effort within the community. So that relieved a lot of the anxiety for me personally as a director, mm-hmm. but knowing, okay, I can get the source. And then our teachers um, really took on a lot of effort researching various places to get things early on. Mm-hmm. We knew in April that when we reopened, we were going to need all these different types of PPE, which was our primary concern. So we started purchasing things at that time. So it was very proactive. Very proactive. Thinking about our environment, we knew we were going to need to be social distancing. So how do we reorganize our classrooms, our environment to meet the needs that we knew were going to be coming should we reopen? We also looked at places that were opening as emergency sites and the criteria that was required of them, because we knew that that would probably be similar for when we did decide to reopen. So just keeping those factors in mind and thinking about what you know we needed to do and prepare in advance of reopening. So your teachers are wearing masks all the time? Yes. And what about the children? The children are wearing them if they're two and older. They are wearing them uh, as much as they practically can. Mm-hmm. You know, we had seven children total to start with our first week of reopening. And the children did amazingly well. You know, there were one or two that just mm-hmm. couldn't tolerate it. But with reminders, they, you know, put their mask on. And our classrooms are fairly large also. So in terms of social distancing, that wasn't a huge problem for us. I think they were just more excited to be together again, Yeah. even if they had to um, be away from each other. And we talked about it ahead of time. We did a puppet dramatization for the children and talked about anything that might come up for them in terms of feeling scared or worried or angry or excited about returning or about having to wear a mask and why we had to do that. And we did the same thing with a welcome back video so that they could see what the classrooms looked like. Because one thing that was significantly different for us is that parents were not able to come into the classroom anymore. So how do they drop off their their kids now? So outside of each classroom, we have a little vestibule area and the parent can bring the child into the vestibule area. The health screening is completed in that area and the child says goodbye to their parent at that area and then they leave in each classroom, has that outside of their, their classroom. So for drop off and pick up, since you have these new protocols, do parents have to drop off and pick up at specific times? Do they have to like sign up for when they're going to be there? Yes, we asked each family to give us a 10 to 15 minute time range for when they would be dropping off and picking up because we didn't want to have a crowd of families waiting to come in. Mm -hmm. So we asked them to give us an estimated time of arrival for drop off and allowing for at least maybe five to 10 minutes for screening for both the child and the person dropping off as well as picking up. So you need a staff person to welcome them and to take temperatures and do all that. And then you probably also need more staff to clean and make sure everything's being maintained during the day. Has it changed your staffing structure, these new guidelines? Yes, it's changed it significantly because now that children cannot go into different classrooms, they have to remain within their own stable classroom. We had to have people early morning and late afternoon to conduct the health screenings because teachers cannot go from one classroom to the other either. Right. So now we have three people at seven in the morning to prep and get everything ready for the drop-off, and then three people at the end of the day at 5.30 for the pickup. Typically, we would have had one person or two at the most for the early drop-off, and then two in the evening for late pickup, which would usually be a teacher and a director on site early morning and then the late afternoon, whereas now we have to have a minimum of three in the morning and three later in the afternoon, along with support staff to help with the 
cleaning and sanitizing of toys and materials and um, equipment for the playground. Or if someone gets sick, Mm -hmm. rather than call somebody in and hope that they could come, we have support staff on site that if somebody does get sick, there's somebody to step in to take that person's place. But you're a nonprofit organization. You serve many low-income families. How is that going to be sustainable in the long term to have all that extra staff? Well, that is our dilemma right now because we opened in July. We are hoping that what the state and other entities will do will find a way to keep us at our same funding rate as Mm pre-COVID, at least until the end of the year. Otherwise, we will not be able to remain operable and sustainable because our costs, our operating costs have gone up with cleaning and the PPE and all of that. But then at the same time, our enrollment has decreased. Mm -hmm. So we would not be able to maintain our same level of operations, if at all. So we're hoping that IDHS and ISBE and DCFS will recognize and work together to figure out a way to help us remain sustainable and operable at the same rate that we were pre-COVID. So you're looking at state agencies and other resources here in Illinois. I know that child care centers in other states are in the same boat. Everybody's looking for additional resources to sustain their programs when your expenses are higher and your income is lower. It's a really difficult situation that child care providers find themselves in right now. Absolutely. Well, and it's unfortunate because there's so much that you guys have to take into consideration and just how transparent you were with your your families and all of the proactiveness that you did with getting the PPE. And there's so much you have to consider. And child care is very important to working families. And so it's something that parents need. Right. And then we want to be available for families and be able to care for their children. That's what we are all about. That's our livelihood as well. And we know that for the economy to get back where it needs to be, that families need childcare so that they can get back to work. But we want to do it safely and we want to do it in a way that is not going to cause further impact. So we don't want to have to be in a position where we will have to close again. Mm So we want to do everything as safely and as proactively as possible. So on a on a lighter note, on a more positive note, tell us about the children. Tell us what the children did when they first came back, what their play was like, what their conversations were like. Well, they were first kind of hesitant because they hadn't seen each other in person. We had been communicating through Zoom. But, you know, when you see somebody in person, that's totally different. Mm-hmm. So we had to, the first day, we had to remind them that they had to use their airplane arms <laughs> to um, stay away you know, that far apart from each other, but they could smile and they could talk with each other. And then after I would say about, you know, an hour or so, it was kind of like they had never left. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the atmosphere was the kind of the same before we closed and we had fewer children. So the children got a lot more attention, a lot more one-on-one attention from teachers, but we did that intentionally. We didn't want to come back with everybody all at once because I think that would have been too overwhelming for the staff and the children. So we had staggered dates to come back. Next week, we expect to have approximately 10 children per classroom. So that gave some children time to get acclimated, the teachers time to get acclimated, and them to bring in more children and help them get acclimated. It's very cute, the airplane arms. And it sounds like, you know, it might have been a little bit of a transition for them at first. But am I right in thinking that children are so adaptable? Like they just went with it. And now it's kind of how everything is. And I feel like it's their new normal. 
normal and they're content with it. Yes, that I agree totally. I, I think they also understand one child came up to me and she hugged me around my legs and I said, oh, thank you for the hug. I'm sorry. I wish I could hug you back, but I want to keep you safe and I want to keep my germs to me. And she said, why? And I said, because that's what we need to do now to keep everybody safe is that we cannot hug anymore, but we can smile and say hello. And she got it. You know, she was like, oh, you know, that made sense to her. I've also thought, you know, this is going to be what children remember over time, dependent upon how long this lasts. They may not remember how it used to be when we were able to hug and, you know, be close to each other. Mm-hmm. My years, I don't remember much before the age of five. <laughs> <laughs> you know, for them, that might be the same way. What used to be will maybe fade away and this will be their normal. And I know we all hope that it's just a temporary normal and there are going to be changes that are kind of irreversible going forward. But hopefully we can at least get back to some level of that carefree social interaction at some point, because it is a little disappointing to think that this would be the new norm that they don't even remember just that easy, like hug your teacher when because you're so excited to see them. And yeah, we'll just have to kind of see how things go. But it's nice to know that one stress of bringing the kids back maybe isn't as stressful, which would be how will they handle the new protocols. And it sounds like that's not as concerning because they are quick to accept and understand and just make the best of the situation. Absolutely. And I think that part of that is preparing them all along because we've included them in the children's conversations and talked about why we weren't at school anymore and talked about what we needed to be doing and to keep ourselves safe and healthy all along. So there wasn't a a lapse in our communication with the children or the families. Mm -hmm. They were able to see their teachers still via the Zoom, still have conversations. We did story times, sang songs, and just talk to each other. And I think a lot of the successes that you've had, Betty, is that you already had a really strong sense of community among the families and the teachers and the staff at your program. So even during the time that you were shut down, you were sustaining something that was already really strong. And I think that's to your credit. I think you're a strong, caring leader, and that that speaks to the the quality of the work that you do. Thank you. Yes, that's very important, our relationships with each other, because it is like a a family. And we couldn't just leave our family in stress. You know, we were always checking in and they would check in with us too. You know, teachers also communicated with the families in their classroom through Facebook or FaceTime, any avenue available. However, work for families, we provided that access for them. So when parents, whether they're in Illinois or anywhere, if they're thinking about returning to childcare these days and they're wondering if it's the right thing to do or if it's safe for their children. Do you have any advice for parents on how they should make those kinds of decisions? Well, I think that it's very individual. I think that they have to make the decision that is best for their family. I know that there are some families who have individuals that may be at higher risk. I think that some families may be able to work from home and still have their children, although the children do need that social interaction still. So I think they have to determine what is best for them. And I think they have to trust their intuition. If they feel comfortable, then they could do it. Some of our families have elected to kind of wait for a month before they could return just to kind of see how things work out. But I think you'll have to just trust your intuition for what's good for your family and for your site where you're planning to send your child if you are comfortable with your teachers and what they're doing to maintain safety and health precautions. I think that one thing I would say is to look for programs 
or return to programs that are following the social distancing and wearing the face coverings and hand sanitizing and doing those health screenings. I think that's very important to mitigate the spread of the virus. So I think to have children return to environments that are following the protocols and being mindful of safety for the children, the families, and their employees. There are a lot of variables, aren't they? Yes, indeed. (laughs) I think one thing that I would like to mention is that we really need to put a lot of focus on prenatal to kindergarten age resources for early childhood programs. I think we focus a lot on K to 12 Mm -hmm. and we forget about the first 1100 days. So much happens during that period of time in their brain development. And this is the time now to revisit what we're putting our resources towards in terms of early childhood education and preparing children for future growth and development. I agree with you 100%, Betty, from birth or as you said, prenatal all the way up to kindergarten, those are the most important years and they don't always get the attention even during ordinary times. And now that we're all struggling, that means we need to pay even more attention to our youngest children and their families and opportunities for learning. And we're just so glad that you're doing this hard work Mm -hmm. and um, leading the way and showing us what's important in terms of quality, early care and learning. Yeah, thank you so much for speaking with us today and sharing your experience. And, you know, we wish the center the best of luck in this turbulent time. And we're happy to hear that things are, you know, going as smoothly as they can for the Ariba Early Learning Center. Yes, Betty, thank you so much for talking with us today. We know how busy you are. We really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Raising Curious Learners. Special thanks to our guest today, Betty Cones, the director of the Reba Early Learning Center, for giving us some insight into the world of childcare in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm Elizabeth Romanski, and my co-host is Ann Gadzikowski. Our audio engineer and editor for this program is Emily Goldstein. This program is copyrighted by Encyclopedia Britannica Incorporated, all rights reserved.